0: Father, thank you for your love for us, uh, love that extends over uh, all the way into eternity. You loved us before we were born, and you loved us unconditionally in Jesus Christ. And for that, we are eternally grateful, but not grateful enough. Uh, Stir us, Lord. Help us to see more deeply and more thoroughly uh, what it is you've given to us and to be thankful uh, to stand on your promises, to act upon them, to uh, trust you for the future. We pray especially for our children as we love them and long to see them walking with you faithfully and to see our children's children doing the same. So, Lord, help us today as we think about how, uh, our, how we can bring our little children into the corporate worship uh, to learn how to do that well. Now, we help them uh, assimilate and grow and understand and to uh, be a part of the community of your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we talked last week about family worship and uh, what we do at home, and I want to tie that together with what we do corporately. Um, Family worship is an extension of the church's corporate worship. So when we're here on Sunday and then you go home, you're taking this with you, hopefully, back to your house, the things you learn here, the, the habits you develop here in worship, you should be exporting to your house. But the same is going to be true for individual worship. The, the worship of the congregation is central and primary. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Uh, And failure to understand this, I believe, has uh, greatly diminished the influence of the church in our culture. So how many professing Christians are at home today and won't be at church today? And and not for a reason like, well, somebody was sick, uh, we had some kind of an emergency, we had something urgent, but who are home today because it's not their commitment and their habit to be with God's people and to worship it. Worship is not a high priority. And I think there, we're not going to get into all of that. I think there are reasons for that. I think we've, in some cases, trivialized worship. Worship's become kind of a, a performance and a, a spectator kind of thing. And so you can take it or leave it. Uh, I can worship God in, in my heart, right? I can worship God in my bass boat just as well as I can at church because God's everywhere, right? And so we have all these rationalizations that are not rooted in what the Scriptures say, and we think we're that's, this is as good as that. And as Hebrews talks about, those who haven't been working out in the Word of God are not able to discern good and evil. They don't know the difference between what's right and what's wrong. So we, again, many professing Christians who are at home today, who will do, be at home most Sundays because it's not important. They don't see why it's important. Perhaps they've never been taught why it's important. And so the church is the worshipping community. She is the outpost of the kingdom of God and our families are the outpost of the church and too many families have that backwards. They think their their family is the, the first in the in the order of things, their their uh, nuclear family but not the corporate family, but it's the other way around. The church is the primary family. It's the big family just like the Lord's table is the big table. And then our tables and our families are outposts of the church. Uh, So getting that right in our thinking, that perspective. And so we need more emphasis on church-friendly families and less emphasis emphasis on family-friendly churches. Uh, We're called to serve the body of Christ. And so in serving Christ first, we are also served as part of the body. Uh, we're called, um, the, the church doesn't exist to serve me first. Uh, it's it's harder to be selfish in a big group. There are other people. There are other people I have to defer to and serve and wait my turn, and all kinds of things are going on when other people are involved. And if I could characterize our society, it's... Uh, Uh, I think Gary, I'm going to quote Gary North here who once said, you can summarize the American view of things by simply saying, live and let live. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. I'll leave you alone, you leave me alone. And uh, that's contrary to what we we learn in Scripture. We're called to serve, we're called to sacrifice, we're called to lay down our lives. Uh, We're called to be part of something that's bigger than us, to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Christ. So that's very contrary to that other notion. And so it's the church that teaches us how to worship and therefore how to live. These things are related. Worship is not a piece of the pie, and then we have all these other pieces of the pie we call our life. It is the pie. It is everything, and then all the other parts of our life are pieces of that. And so that's, again, how we look at things makes a difference. And thus, we gather on the first day of each week to practice our worship, uh, and practice not in, not in the sense we think necessarily. I think there's one aspect of this that's kind of like choir practice or baseball practice. We do get together to practice in that sense, to get better at it, to be taught and instructed and develop the habits. But we also practice it in the way that a doctor practices medicine. It's just what he does, or a lawyer practices law, or a teacher practices teaching. It's the practice of your life. It is the implementation of this across the board. And so the goal is not, when we come here, to do the liturgy, to just follow the order of worship, but to learn how to live that liturgy. We should see in all of these elements things that we carry out the door into our lives. And so we, again, begin the first day of each week gathered together, as the household of God in preparation for life. So we should think of the Lord's Day worship then as practice for life. It provides a blueprint, it provides an image, something we see, uh, something we hear uh, on how to live. And so every church has a liturgy or an order, and that liturgy does ultimately get lived out. We have learned to come when God calls us and learn and listen to him when he speaks. Uh, we have learned to respond with gratitude and thankfulness in our hearts we practice prayer and the confession of our sins and we've been reminded of his gracious pardon and absolution we have the privilege of giving cheerfully and offering up songs of praise we have learned to receive instruction through the word preached and we have and to remember our confession of faith of what we believe Uh, All of this culminates in our gathering around the family table in communion. And so after we practice, then we are sent out the door with God's benediction to go to our homes, to our outposts, and to do all of this over and over again. And that leads us to our topic for today, and specifically little children and the worship of God. So should little children actually participate in the worship of God? I know the church I grew up into had a pretty large is a large church uh, and had a fairly large nursery system. And there are many blessings to that, many advantages to that. and it's understandable. Uh, it makes it more convenient if you can put the children over here so they're not disruptive. Uh, and in the church I grew up in, they were really good about teaching children in those places. I, we learned Bible stories. We sang songs. So it wasn't just a, a place where we're babysitting children. There were good things going on there. Uh, and so, again, I, I think you could make a list of very kind of practical reasons of why we would want to have a separate area for children. Uh, it, it is convenient. It, is, it does offer certain benefits, well, in one sense, the Bible says, uh, in answering this question, should little children participate in the worship of God, the Bible says that we are all little children. As Jesus indicated when he said to his disciples, uh, he spoke to them and said, little children, yet a little while I am with you. And so I think it's helpful for us to remember that we're all little children. We had to become little children to enter the kingdom. What if any obligation, excuse me, but there's another sense in which We speak of little children, and that, of course, is in reference to infants, toddlers, and young children. Uh, So what, if any, obligation do they have to worship God? And more particularly, what, if any, place do they have in the corporate worship of God, in, in in the assembly? Well, as God's people, we should rejoice over hearing some infant noises in our midst. That doesn't mean we want to hear all of them. Or that we want to hear them constantly, or that there's no nothing needs to be done. Uh, See, so I said that Robert gets up and leaves. Um, so uh, some people are overly sensitive. Um, uh, this is an indication when we hear the, the sounds of our little children, an indication of God's covenant blessings. And some of this is going to be about us learning to be a little more patient and tolerant. Uh, all little children go through a period we're going to see of learning how to be in worship. And they're going to make noises. That's what children do. Um, so it's an indication of God's gift of life. So God thereby adds to our numbers. Uh, he he adds to the church and advances his kingdom through the generations. So all those little sounds are sounds of life, of, of in fact, if you've ever been to a church, maybe an older church, where it's mainly elderly people and no children, one of the comments that I get sometimes from visitors who might be coming from those situations is, we love seeing all the children. We love hearing those noises. That's uh, something we don't have at our church in some cases. Uh, so... Um, But this does not mean that without exception children must, excuse me, does this mean that children without exception must always be present with their parents in the congregation? In other words, is this an ought to? Ought your children be in here? Or is that just one of the options? Well, little children are sponges when it comes to soaking in new information. In fact, they amaze me sometimes that they can take in, because they're busy and noisy and doing things, Uh, that it's really possible that at the same time, they're also learning and taking in information. I've told this story once. I had a little boy in seventh grade uh, years ago. I was teaching a class at a Christian school. Uh, This was in Texarkana. His name was Chris, and Chris could not stay in his chair. He was hyper. He was all over the place. So uh, the class one day was an Old Testament class. I'd put a chart on the board of the Old Testament kings. It was just Short, I don't know, probably about ten items or so, eight or ten. And uh, so they were supposed to spend the last ten minutes of class getting started on their homework to memorize that chart and be able to reproduce it. And I'd look up, and Chris was under his desk, or he was doing something. Very, a couple, about three times, I'd kind of, all right, Chris, you need to do your work. Stay focused on your work. And finally, about the third time, I said, Chris, do you know this? Have you learned this yet? Yes, sir. So I erased the board. I said, come up here and write it on the board. And he did. <laughs> when did you learn that? <laughs> what? How did that happen? Uh, so that was you know, a real lesson for me. In Luke 1.44, the Bible reports this statement from Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. When she heard Mary, you'll recall, for lo, as soon as I heard the voice of thy sal- salutation, it sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. That's John the Baptist, right? So even when they seem to not be paying attention, the youngest of children often surprise us by reciting uh, the very thing we thought that had passed them by, sometimes to our delight and sometimes to our chagrin, right? They, they heard things that we didn't know they heard. Um, and so from the moment a child is born, or arguably even before that, um, parents begin to teach their children by speaking, by singing and living out before them the Christian life. Your children are learning before they can articulate. In fact, some, I remember Aaron's first words. He was how old? Seven and a half months, eight, maybe eight months. I mean, really young. I was walking, carrying him through the house and there was no mistake about it because we had a helium balloon that had been at the house and it was there and he pointed to it. And his first words were balloon. And he pointed to it and it was like, where did that come from? How did you know that? You know, it's just, uh, it just strange. Um, uh, from the moment they're born, of course. So the fact is that they can, can't articulate or emulate immediately all that we impart to them. Uh, that doesn't cause us to stop teaching them though, right? And we know that very soon they're going to pick it up, they're going to mimic us uh, in what they've been taught. Even if the child doesn't understand all that they're doing, they are learning that these are the things that God's people do. And so in time, they will understand why. Uh, There's nothing more important for a child to learn than the worship of God, both privately and corporately. And by the way, you're also teaching them by just being here, that every Sunday this is what we do. You're going to do that every Sunday for their whole life, so that when they leave you, that will be in their bones. That's just who I am. That's what we always do. That's the goal. So this is one of the chief obligations of all of God's creatures. So as we teach our children to walk and talk, at the same time, we should diligently teach them the Scriptures and how they should worship God when they sit in their house and they walk in the way when they lie down and when they rise up we have clear biblical example of the importance of this very training found in second timothy uh, chapter 3 verse 15 where the apostle paul writes to timothy saying that and from a child you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus Again, the Greek word here for child is, in this text, is the word used to describe an, an infant, a nursing baby. And no doubt the infant Timothy had heard the word of God from his, the mouths of his faithful mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois from the time he was born. So you know that, right? You've taught children to read or uh, sing songs or do all kinds of things and you do it by repetition. And somewhere along the way, they just soak it up. They start mimicking you. They can give back what you've given to them. That's why I think catechisms are really great uh, with children, is they can learn that stuff very easily. Um, So uh, being grown up is no guarantee that one will learn or comprehend the truth of God. Jesus is thankful that the truth is revealed even to the immature in Luke 10:21, at that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank Thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that Thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in Thy sight. And so while it might be a mystery to adults, nevertheless, God, uh, God is clearly capable of communicating with and receiving praise even from nursing babes. If, in fact, if we read the prophecy in Psalm 8-2, uh, he says that this would, in fact, be the case. Out of the mouths of nursing babes thou hast ordained praise. That's a mystery. I don't know exactly how that works. Um, a prophecy, this is a prophecy that was fulfilled in Matthew 21, uh, 15 through 16. Uh, and then... Uh, also in John, let's see, John 3, 8. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were uh, very displeased and said to him, uh, Do you hear what these say? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of babes and sucklings uh, you have, ord- have perfected praise? And so while Christians should not be mystics, nevertheless, neither should we dismiss the fact that there are mysteries in the ways of God and that the Spirit, like the wind, blows where He wishes. So children are members of the covenant community. Uh, They're not, uh, we don't put them, that's why I think we shouldn't put them off in another room. I'm going to say something later. There, there are times and places there's needs for adult conversations, just like at your house. Your children who are part of your family are generally included at the family table and uh, the family uh, activities, but there are times when a husband and wife uh, need to have a conversation without the children present for a variety of reasons. So I'm not saying that there's never an occasion when the children shouldn't be present. But I'd say it's a routine. As a matter, as a matter of routine, they should be present. They're part of the family. So we should be clear that all of God's covenant promises belong to you and to who else? Your children. All of God's promises belong to you and your children. Covenant children are members of the covenant community, and are therefore entitled to its benefits and part uh, are subject to its duties and responsibilities. So just as circumcision was an advantage for Jews, as Romans uh, 3.2 says, much in every way, uh, so too those who have received the covenant sign and seal of baptism have all the covenant privileges and obligations. Paul especially points to the fact that their chief privilege is that they've been given the oracles of God. They've been given the Bible. In other words, God's word is given to all the members of the covenant community, including the little children. And when Moses assembled the congregation of the Lord, uh, whereby God established them as his covenant people, the congregation was all-inclusive. Listen to this from Deuteronomy twenty-nine, ten through 15. All of you stand today before the Lord your God, your leaders and your tribes and your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel your little ones and your wives, also the stranger who is in your camp, from the one who cuts your wood to the one who draws your water, that you may enter into covenant with the Lord your God and into his oath which the Lord your God makes with you today, that he may establish you today as a people for himself, and that he may be God to you just as he has spoken to you and just as he has sworn to your fathers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I make this covenant and this oath not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us today before the Lord our God, as well as with him who is not here with us today. God's covenant with his people obviously includes not only their little children, but already anticipating those yet to be born. So it's it's inclusive of our children and our children's children to a thousand generations. So this covenant continues in the new covenant where the promises, promise is reaffirmed on the day of Pentecost. So as the we think of as the church's birthday in the New Covenant, uh, we read, For the promise is unto you, to your children, and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. So this is the, the gospel message. So even in the New Testament epistles, they are often addressed to the constituent members of the covenant household, the husbands, fathers, wives, mothers, children, and so forth. Children were central to the work of the Old Covenant, and since the New Covenant is but an extension of the Old Covenant, then they continue to be central to God's uh, covenant work among his people. And so at the heart of the covenant with Abraham was the condition that God placed on Abraham. Uh, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, uh, that they shall keep the way of the Lord, to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken to him. So if my job is to to diligently teach my children to keep the way of the Lord, well, part of keeping the way of the Lord is corporate worship. is This is what God's people do. We come together, and, and you're part of God's people, so... You're going to sit there with us and you're going to learn to do the things we do. And uh, it's going to be gradual, little by little, more and more understanding comes. Um, so should little children be included in the public assembly? And I think this is an important question. And again, I acknowledge that I think I understand why uh, you know, we would be tempted to want uh, a separate system. Uh, maybe children's church, for example. Some churches have gone that route. where, And it's interesting because oftentimes in, in those churches you'll have uh, all the little children will start out in the worship service, but then when it comes time for the sermon is when we want to send them out and we're going to give them a children's sermon. And, and again, I can understand that. Your th- the thinking is we're going to give them something they can understand better than this. But I'd suggest they don't understand a lot of the other things we do, if you mean by that, that they could explain it all or, but I want to ask you, how do you get understanding? You know, you don't, uh, you don't read a book if you understand it. You read it until you understand it. That's the way the Bible is. You don't, if you're waiting to just somehow have understanding first. And so, uh, that's why parents, it's so essential for you to be engaged with your children regarding worship. Going home and talking about the sermon, even if it's some, you know, even with little the youngest children, you can find something to talk about to help them recognize number one, the sermon was for you. It's for us. It's for our family, uh, and to draw some of those things out of them to teach them that that's what they should be doing after a worship service. Not just okay, that's over. Let's go play with our friends. Let's go home. And no more conversation about that. Uh, it's It's really up to you to help them connect the dots of what we're doing here with what they need to be doing in their own lives. Um, so we we find biblical precedent for both affirmative and negative answers regarding public assembly are perhaps better put, sometimes yes and sometimes no, in terms of should they be in the public assembly. Often, when the Bible refers to the assembly of God's people or the congregation, it does include the youngest children. I'll give you a few examples: Second uh, Chronicles 20:13, and all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Uh, Joshua 8:35, there was not a word of all that Moses commanded, not a word uh, with which. Uh, which Joshua read not before all the congregation of Israel with the women and the little ones and the strangers that were conversant among them. Likewise, in Joel 2:15 uh, through 16, we read, Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck, uh, suck the breast, let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Soon after this trumpet call in this prophecy, Peter tells us that Joel was speaking of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Jesus himself thought it was appropriate for children to be brought into his presence. In Mark ten, thirteen 13-16, And they brought young children to him that he should touch them, and he and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased, and he said to them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, and he put his hands on them, and he blessed them. Again, the Greek word here that's used is for nursing babes, and it seems to be a mistake then to forbid even the youngest children to participate in the worship of Christ. And so as a rule, uh, covenant children should be present with the congregation for worship. They're part of the corporate body, and therefore they should be part of the corporate worship. This is what the body does and we're not going to dissect the body. They're parts of the corporate body. They are parts, and again, therefore, they should be part of the worship. This is of the essence of who they are as covenant children. Nevertheless, this is not the same thing as saying that it's always necessary that these little ones be present in every kind of uh, congregational meeting. Some meetings may not be appropriate for very young children. Just like, again, at your house, there may be subjects or issues that uh, they're not ready for or, or need to be part of. In Nehemiah 8, 2, we read, And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. Some meetings may be especially geared to men or pastors or some other special occasion. They might be too long for small children, as in the case of conferences with multiple sessions, or as in the case cited above, simply nothing there would be, uh, everything would be beyond their comprehension. However, these meetings are primarily for instruction rather than worship. There are always things, in fact, I would argue that the Lord's table uh, is maybe one of the most profound things that is accessible to little children. Uh, They're very keenly interested in what's going on there. It's a simple version of the gospel and easy to teach your children about it uh, from the bread and the wine. So when children are brought into the corporate worship service, let me pause a minute and say, any comments or questions about whether or not children should be included in the corporate worship? Any thoughts about that or... Yeah, I would say most meetings, most, well, since we're really talking about worship here, I just say worship, they should always be here. Is anybody, is there a disagreement on that or a thought about that you concur? Um, And again, we're going to talk in a minute about how that needs to be managed. Um, And there are a lot of management issues in churches, just like there are in families, So it's not as simple as saying, just simple, everybody should be here. Okay, now that they're here, what do they need to do? How do we do that? How do we incorporate little children here? We're going to talk about that. Uh, If we had 500 people or 1,000 people, we'd have other management issues. Um, And so certain practical things that we might do at a church, and those might vary from church to church, local church to local church, just like, the rules at your house might vary from the rules at someone else's house a little bit. But essentially, everybody has to have those rules, whether it's, you know, rules for sitting at the table or cleaning your room or bedtime or all the various things you do at your house. is going to look similar to other ordered households, but maybe not identical. Uh, yes, sir. Well, one thing we might do, and we're kind of doing that a little bit with this class, but we might, for example, there might be a need to have a special class, maybe not for the whole congregation every year, but maybe once a year a refresher on uh, a couple of these lessons to help, to not just tell people bring your children and not help them in that transition, help teach them how to do that and to provide something. I do think we're going to be talking about some of those things here as we go forward. So I would think instead of being just agitated at people who might not be managing their children well, uh, we need to come alongside them and help them get to a place uh, where they can do that because I don't, they may not have ever been taught anything about that. Yes, sir? Yeah, Nathan. Maybe, yeah, that's a separate question. Yeah, that might be how we manage it, right? We might say... We need two or three churches uh, to do that. So, yeah, Jonathan? Uh, the question about our death, what we're that's very good. Uh, yeah, we're not in this series going to address the whole question of paedo-communion, but I think theologically that is central. If we say yes, children are not only permitted to come to the table, but expected. As you say, that's the goal, that's the objective there, then you wouldn't just say have them out in children's church and then bring them in right before the Lord's Supper. Uh, These things are all connected. Everything we do in our worship service leads up to the table, and so all of it is tied together. Did I see another hand? Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. And even in that case, the youngest child would ask, what does this mean? And if, they were t- if the youngest child was too young to ask, a proxy for that youngest child would be appointed to ask on their behalf. So uh, clearly we have precedent there in the Old Testament. Uh, and, and so, um, again, this is a, a beautiful thing. I, I, I've told this story before, uh, but I had a friend uh, in another state that was new in the CREC, and they had a, a young boy, I think he was around 18 months or so, And he was not very verbal at all. And he was wrestling with trying to decide whether to let his child take communion. He was theologically been reading, thinking. Uh, But they had taught this young boy uh, some sign language, not because he was deaf, but just because that was one of the ways they communicated, you know, different hand signals to do things. And a lot of parents have done that. So in their family worship, they had taught him the the picture, the symbol symbol, of this for Jesus, and he said the day he said I remember sitting there in the pew during uh, communion, and they were passing the bread came by, and he looked up at me and did this, and he said okay um, I realized you know he he couldn't speak he couldn't articulate with his mouth, but he 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 made the connection yeah Nathan no I agree but I'm saying. I'm just illustrating that it's actually, while, because he was present while the supper is being delivered, here he was in fact learning and, and growing. I agree, he should have been there before, but this guy was in transition thinking through it just like somebody would on baptism. He wasn't quite there, but when he saw that he realized the fact that I've had my child here week after week, he has learned. Right. How so? No, I don't... Well, maybe. I think what he was saying when we talked about it is he said, I, I realized that the supper itself was didactic. That That's at least arguably one of the reasons infants should be there, not just, I agree, it's because they're members of the family, but they're also from day one, even, again, from the time... You are a nursing baby. You have known the scriptures. They can't articulate that. They don't understand it, but there's a sense in which it's known. There is a knowledge that is being transmitted. And I think through the sacrament, even if it's really tiny, I don't think it is dependent upon assent or even articulation, even this. But the fact is when your children, wherever your children are, let's put it this way, wherever your children are, they're learning. And if they're in worship, and we're doing the things God told us to do in worship, they are learning about Jesus, even if it's just the smallest amount, or, or even if we can't measure it, even if they aren't to a place of articulating it. Um, it is God is at work in that mysterious way. And so all the benefits of Christ are theirs. I'd say this. You don't know all the benefits, or you don't apprehend them all. I mean, we're all still in the process as we mature and grow. I hope every Sunday you go away thinking, oh, I didn't, I hadn't thought about the fact that Jesus did this for me. Uh, or it gets, maybe you have a deeper understanding and appreciation of it. The point is, this is not happening in a vacuum it's not just some oh if you walk in here and sit in a chair things just happen but the fact that you are in covenant with God in a living relationship my point is the Holy Spirit is at work in you and your youngest children your newborns Uh, and what you will begin to see is they will surprise you with their grasp of what and especially I think if you go home and say why did we take the Lord's Supper today? Um, and you, especially as they can articulate things, and if they can't articulate it, then you help them. You tell them what they, how they ought to respond, because we love Jesus, because Jesus loved us first. Yeah, uh, you know. You know. Do you that's, that's, uh, the purpose? Yeah, and I, I don't disagree. I mean, and we're all, all of our thinking needs to be deepened and challenged. Uh, and, and my point in that story isn't that that's what we're waiting to see first. It's that uh, here, here, this eighteen-year-old, eighteen-month-old child who was not verbally articulate. What became evident to the parents was God has already been at work. Even though at this point they had not actually taken the bread or the wine, they had been present in the worship service since they were born. And here, even before you could articulate verbally. That, that work had been taking place in that child in a way that we wouldn't necessarily perceive. And so, all right, um, we're about out of time. Any more comments or questions? We'll wrap it up here about anything that we've talked about on worship. We'll just stop here, and next time we'll talk about training children for worship. How do we get them there? How do we bring them from that uh, stumbling, uh, difficult, period where they're transitioning to learn how to sit still and how to listen and how to be a part of this. Because one of the real dangers is, and I've seen this, and I'm going to now speak to you who have older kids, um, this can become rote very easily. If you're not engaging them, in, in, and this is a, a living, active thing, uh, I, I look at teenagers sometimes sitting in church every Sunday for years. And they are somewhere else they are not here their bodies are here, but their minds and hearts are somewhere else, and they're talking to each other they're distracted they're not engaged in the worship of God it's just something they do this is what we have to do on Sunday this is what we do and we do it and we'll be as soon as it's over now we can have fun and adults do that too, but uh, if if you don't bring the hearts of your children along with their uh, being able to say the Nicene Creed and uh, eat bread and drink wine and do all, go through all the motions, then you've missed the point. It has to be the heart that's brought along. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word, for your calling us and our children uh, to worship you. Help us to understand it better, to see it, to trust you, to act on it, to be an example to our children because our hearts are engaged in worship so that their hearts also will be engaged. And so now, as we head to worship, help us to practice that today in a way that is faithful and honoring to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have your pen for a second?